Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I'm going to be talking about grace and discipline of giving. And I want to start with uh, the definition of grace. This comes from the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. And two whole pages of data can be boiled down to one sentence, the first sentence there. Grace is undeserved acceptance and love received from another. So as we turn to our scripture that we're going to uh, key on this morning, and if we can go to the first of those slides, Sharon, if you would, those who are able to, I would ask you to please stand. And then I'm going to ask you to please join me in reading aloud uh, the word of God. And so I will start, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that is given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, poverty, might become rich. You may be seated. Everywhere that the word grace appeared in that scripture, you should think of the words unaccepted undeserved acceptance and love because we're going to keep coming back to that and as long as I have a clear head and courage we hope I hope that uh, the Lord will lay something special upon your heart 
Um, I got to deviate for just a minute and talk about Jack. That little guy runs around here with so much joy. When Cassie told me that he goes up to her and says, I get to go to the hospital. And I'm 67 years old standing up here and I'm terrified. So just keep that in mind that um, it's God that spreads that joy and I'm going to rely on Jack this morning. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the maker of all, the provider of all. Father, grant us the ability to understand what Paul wrote here about the Macedonians. Grant us the insight into your grace, the grace of Christ, and the grace that we are to emulate. Grant us loving hearts and open minds to think of others and their needs so that we may give and give abundantly and give in love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I get started here, um, I'd like to move on to, yeah, you have up there the missions and stewardship. As I said, I start from the top down. Uh, I think everybody recognizes that with missions, it comes from the Great Commission that we find in Matthew, to go and make disciples. With stewardship, we have a responsibility to manage the resources of life for the glory of God and acknowledging that God is the provider of all. That last song we sang, uh, a billion things, he made them all. They're all his, every single thing. Yet he gives us what we need uh, at the moment. So I want to focus a little bit, just a minute or two on missions, about what the Global Impact Team is going to be doing over the next few months. Um, first of all, uh, starting on the 28th of this month, there will be a, a week of prayer for uh, international missions, for the International Mission Board. And uh, if my memory serves, that will entail some communications from the office and whatnot. But I just want you to be aware of it that in a couple weeks we're going to start this special prayer. And then on the 5th of December, each week on the 5th, 12th, and 19th, we're going to talk about Lottie Moon, the history behind it, and uh, the purpose for it. Um, in January, we hope to bring you a missionary's report, hopefully the Wagners, and out in February, uh, we're going to be initiating an Adoptiverse program. And there'll be more about that uh, coming in the future. I mentioned missions here just so that you know what's going on. I pray that you look forward to it. But to also say that um, when we give, we not only give for this structure here, but we give for God's word to go throughout the whole world. And I hope that comes out in uh, what comes up. Now, my next slide is meant to be the basis of a quiz. 
Um, it's entitled Rich and Powerful Men. Kent Hughes uh, writes in his um, a book, uh, Devotion, uh, Disciplines, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, uh, that in 1923, these men met at the Edgewood Beach Hotel in Chicago. Just take a look at their titles. Take a look at this. Charles Schwab, Chairman and CEO of Bethlehem Steel. Samuel Insull, Chairman and CEO of the Commonwealth Edison Company. That's the legacy company that uh, Thomas Edison started. Howard Hobson, CEO of Associated Gas and Electric, one of the biggest gas uh, distributors uh, in the world at the time. Arthur Critton, he moved more wheat through the Chicago Board of Trade than any other person in the world. Richard Whitney was president of the New York Stock Exchange. Albert Fall was a member of the president's cabinet at the time. Jesse Livermore was the biggest bear on Wall Street, and what that means is in a down market, he made his money there. While other people were losing money, he made money. And Leon Frazier was president of the First National Bank of New York. Ivar Kruger was president of a world company called International Settlements. Think about these guys. Some of you may know the story, but there'll be a quiz toward the end of what do you think their lives were like in 1948, 25 years later. As I mentioned, I can't hope to uh, meet the legacy of, my, of Mike, Mike, and Mike. After all, they've got decades of Bible study and scriptural exposition. Um, I'm a student, so I went out and I did a lot of reading, and I found three sources that inspired me to put a message together. I'm going to attribute them now rather than going through each little point later on. First of all is a book that uh, Pastor Snellgrove did with the men's group a few years back entitled Disciplines of a Godly Man. It was written by R. Kent Hughes. And in specific, I'm uh, focusing on chapter 16, which is um, Disciplines of Giving. Uh, some of you may recognize the name, Dave Ramsey. He is a preeminent Christian financial counselor. And he had an article uh, that he wrote in August of this year about tithes and offerings, your questions answered. And then last of all, uh, another name that may be familiar to many of you, John MacArthur, Earlier this year, he gave a sermon series called God's Plan for Giving. The ideas, the outlines, the scriptural references come from their teaching. Um, I've put my own flavor into it, but I'm not taking credit for this. Uh, I'm maybe going to take credit just for the part that I'm going to say amen to this because I see it as being truth and uh, something that we should pay some attention to. So let's get started. What is tithing? Dave Ramsey says, a tithe is a portion, 10% of your income, given as an offering to your local church. Now, he calls it a fun fact. It's just simply a fact that the word tithe literally means a tenth in Hebrew. And he points to where this came up, Leviticus 2730. 
Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. A couple of things to notice about this before we move on. Everything is the Lord's. Everything. Um, whether it's seed from the ground or if it's meat from the fatted calf or fruit from a tree or um, the flesh of a wild game. Uh, I hear that there's a certain hunting season opening soon. Um, everything is the Lord's. And the main thing is what he's asking for is the first fruits. First fruits means the cut off the top, the best. You give first before you even look at the rest. And this is going to be a theme that we're going to talk about as we keep going on here. Second question that Dave Ramsey answers is, what's the difference between a tithe and an offering? I like his little analogy here. Like llamas and alpacas. Llamas and alpacas? Tithes and offerings are grouped together a lot, but they're definitely not the same thing. A tithe is a specific amount that you give first, and an offering isn't anything extra that you give beyond that. Tithe, you give your first fruits first, before anything, before anything else. And then an offering is what you give over and above that. Um, it's a tough thing to do, but we're going to talk a little bit about how that can happen. So why should I tithe is the third question from Dave Ramsey. And he says that the Bible tells us that tithing is a way that we trust God with our lives and finances. Now, he calls it a truth bomb. Tithing isn't for God's benefit. He doesn't need our money. He don't. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He loves us. But he doesn't need anything from us. Tithing is meant for our benefit because sacrificing a portion of our income reminds us to rely on God to meet our needs. Plus, it makes us more aware of the needs of others, too. And I hope you hear missions in the back of your head with that statement. So with these three, sentence, uh, three uh, uh, answers, Dave Ramsey asks us to focus on first fruits. Tithes and offerings are different. And giving is for our benefit, not for God's. It is for our benefit. Now, before we go on, I got to say that... Uh, Pastor MacArthur's attitude and uh, Kent Hughes's attitude toward tithing might surprise some of you. I'll give you some quotes. Pastor MacArthur has said, and he said in this sermon series I listened to, quote, 10% isn't biblical, unquote. Quote, no universal law to give a tenth, unquote. Quote, tithing isn't giving. 
And in so many words, Kent Hughes agreed with him. Now, before you start screaming heresy, to be clear, Pastor MacArthur is not for one second disputing the word of God. Tie the peers in the word of God. But what he's pushing back against, and in his words, getting stuck on legalistic giving of 10%. And I hope to make that clear as we go further. These guys are saying, don't focus on the 10%. Rather, they uh, point out that in uh, the culture of the time, in ancient, uh, uh, the ancient world, uh, the tithe was a tenth, but it referred to completeness. Uh, as we'll see in a minute, uh, when Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had to Melchizedek, it wasn't the focus on 10%. It was a focus that I am giving you out of my whole. And that is because you are a priest and I love and honor and respect you, I'm giving you this amount. It represents the whole, uh, out of the whole that I have. And so this is where we hope to go uh, as I go along here. So let's take a look an overview at giving through time. I know this chart's a little busy, but please follow me and bear with me. You see the big A, the big B, and the big C along the side. The history of giving can be broken down roughly three different periods. There's the period before Moses, there's a period from Moses to Jesus, and then there's a period after Jesus. Both MacArthur and Hughes point to this, and I did enough reading, I'm very comfortable with this. And they point to some of the scripture that I've put there next to it. Before Moses, there were free will offerings. And if you go to the accounts in Genesis, Genesis 4.3, if you recall, it starts with, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, I might be speaking from omission, but you don't see in that account, the Lord saith, give a tenth, or the Lord said, bring me an offering. It just simply says, in the course of time. So that appears to us to be a free will offering. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what happened to Cain and Abel after that. Genesis 8.20 is the account uh, that the ark had just landed. And it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Again, This was the first thing that Noah did to give thanks for safe passage on the ark. First fruits or first offering. Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Do your offering, I will get to to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then in 1318, so Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, 
which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar. So it appears that giving, before Moses wrote down the five books, was uh, a period of free will offering, if you will. Out of a love for God, these individuals honored God with burnt offerings, with altars, and with worship. They came freely and offered it freely. Now, some will say that in that same period, there were measurements. And yes, I already referred to it. Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, and I attempted to, you know, kind of explain that. It was an expression of love, respect for um, Melchizedek that he gave a tenth of. And some might point to when Joseph directed the people of Egypt to give 20% to Pharaoh. But that really is more about the whole story of Joseph with the years of plenty and the years of famine and how to rebuild the granaries and whatnot. If we move on to the next period between Moses and Jesus, you notice I put a comment there that comes from MacArthur that This is a period of exacted offering to establish Israel's theocracy. In other words, God was teaching the people of Israel how to form a government, organize the people, and how to fund that organization. And when I get done with this section, I think we're going to feel a little bit relieved, hopefully. It's made up of the Lord's tithe, which is from Leviticus 27.30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of, or of the fruit of the trees, is, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. In Numbers 18.21 to 29, the specific intent of this comes clear. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do. Their service in the tent of meeting. The next, the festival tithe. Um, In Deuteronomy 12, we read about um, the Lord directing uh, the people that after they've gone over the Jordan and they're living in the land that God has given them, that they are to rejoice before the Lord your God. Uh, Rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. The Lord wanted this festival to happen every year, the celebration as a reminder of what he had done for them and the land that he had given to them. The third part, the poor tithe. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce, that the Lord may bless you in the work of your hands that you do. Now, this was done every three years. You had to give another 10% to the temple. And so that amounted to three and a third percent a year. And if you've been doing the math as we go along so far, you've got 10 plus 10 plus 3 and a third is 23 and a third. There's still one more to go. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. That meant that there'd be grain on the ground or fruit that had fallen from the tree I'm not quite sure how you do this with your livestock, but you were to allow anybody who wanted to to go on your land before you went back and cleaned it up 
to pick that up, uh, to uh, supplement their food stores and whatnot. So you can see how easily 25% of all that you have to give back to the Lord. And this was an exacted offering. The third area is after Jesus has come. Both men refer to gracious and free will offerings. And I think if we focus on the two Proverbs is the best way. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be enriched. Notice there that the Lord inspired the word to say, with your wealth. He's not disappointed in us. We don't have to be stoic. We can make money. We can go out and make a lot of money. It's what you do with the money that is the important thing. And what's the next proverb say? You are to give freely. And if you give freely, there's a promise with it that you'll grow all the richer. So those that withhold, they suffer want. One who waters will himself be enriched. Uh, Rain falls on the crops and they grow. So with this overview in mind, Um, this is where MacArthur is coming from when he says to focus on the word 10% gets us off the meaning. The Lord wants us to give willingly and freely out of what he has given us and give it back to him. So, what are the aspects of this free will giving? Uh, This outline of 10 comes from John MacArthur. It's not my words, but I borrowed it. And then some of the scripture I've added to what he had to say. First thing is, giving is investing with God. From Luke 6.38, we have give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Very common, very popular verse. Will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You notice how it's, it, 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 you'll have plenty, you'll have too much, you'll be pressing it down, it'll run over. And then there's a caution, but be careful. For by the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. It's this whole idea of free will and giving back to the Lord out of love. And then in Matthew, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves in treasures in heaven. Um, I got some bad news for some of my friends um, who, like me, own a motorcycle. SUVs, ATVs, bass boats, kind of what we're warned about here, unless we have given freely, and then we can enjoy all of that. But there's a bit of a warning here about don't hang on to these things, don't lay them up, because after all, 
They'll just rust away. They need to be repaired and whatnot. I think you get the point there that it's, there's this two-edged side to the giving. Giving is sacrificial. Um, I think some of you will recognize this immediately, Mark 12, 41 and 44. It starts with, and he sat down opposite the treasury, and it goes along describing what he's observing there, and it comes to the point where it says, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. What was the story about? She gave everything she had. Was that 10%? Uh-uh. It was 100% of what she had. Yet she gave it willingly, and she gave it out of her need because once she gave it, she had nothing else. Sacrificial. It's an attitude of the heart. Even if she only gave one of them, what would she have given? 50%. That's way above 10%. So, if we gave like that poor widow... I can see this cathedral here, you know, about eight stories high and marble and granite, and I really don't because we wouldn't go in for that. But I could see our missions budget tripling. I could see things like sending the kids to camp every quarter. I could see uh, all kinds of curriculum on discipleship and whatnot. That's where I'm headed with this, is that the giving facilitates the work of the Lord. That's what he wants. In Hebrews, he says, do not neglect to do good and to share with you what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know, if you're a Pharisee and you've got a big bank account and you walk in and you write that check out for 10% and you put it on the table, you might feel pretty good. I did my thing. I checked. My fire insurance is paid for the year. I... Don't know how the Lord looks at that. Sacrifice is pleasing to God. And Paul acknowledges that in Philippians. Uh, when he received a donation, he says, I have received full payment, and more I am well supplied, having received from a, excuse me, Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A sacrifice. Now I understand why that's here. <clears throat> so, I think of these ten things, it's probably going to be the most important one to think about. But three and four, we can look at kind of together. Giving is not a matter of what you have because it affects your spiritual growth. We can go to Luke and 10 to 13. Luke chapter 16, 10 to 13. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to riches? And if you have not been fruitful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters. So it's not about what you have. It's about what you do with it. And that affects your spiritual growth is what, um, in particular, Kent Hughes was trying to make the point. Um, We all remember the parable about the men who were given the talents. One was given ten, went off and invested. Another one was given five. And one was given one, and he buried it in the ground. You know, it's what you do with what the Lord has provided you. As we already know, it's okay to invest it, to grow it. Giving amounts are personally determined. Now, I think there's a typographical error there. This is Luke chapter 19, verses 8 and 9. It's a story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Who was Zacchaeus? Anybody remember? He was a wee little man. Not too unlike myself. Tax collector. And they were kind of the bad guys at that time. No respect for them whatsoever. Now you'll notice, if you go back to that account and read the context... Uh, You know, Jesus had gone to his house to have dinner with him. You don't see Jesus saying, okay, Zacchaeus, let's look at your back bills here. If you pay so much to the temple, you have access to the kingdom of heaven. Now, he didn't say that at all. Um, Didn't even imply it, I don't think. He treated Zacchaeus with love. Uh, He treated Zacchaeus with the grace that only Christ can, and that penetrated Zacchaeus' heart and changed him. And he spontaneously said, I will give half my goods, half, to the poor. Is that a tenth? No. It's a spontaneous free will offering. And what do we find in the very next sentence? Today salvation has come to this house. Jesus was very pleased. Jesus, the Son of God, the Godhead, was very pleased with this spontaneous free will offering. Number six is giving in response to need. And again, another typographical error on my part. The fingers don't work so good anymore, you know. Um, Acts 2 verse 45 and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need Uh, and then a little later on uh, in that chapter uh, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea there is a huge need all over the world. I can't think of anyone bigger than right now is in Chennai, where HBI is underwater, where, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people are out of their homes, which means their food's been spoiled. Uh, Genuine need. At the same time, we do have a need here 
And the one thing that comes to my mind in today, the challenge is, we need to find people who can teach, provide them the place, provide them the curriculum to teach our children and our young people the truth about justice, biblical justice versus social justice. So there is a definite immediate need with our brothers and sisters in India. And may God you know, grant us the opportunity, the privilege to help them with that need. There's the ongoing need about our body, our congregation here, to support the staff, the facility, the curriculum, to grow up disciples in the fashion of the Great Commission. Giving is to demonstrate love, not law. And you'll notice toward the end of these here how much we come back to 2 Corinthians and gives an explanation of why the passage we're looking at today is, um, is kind of a centerpiece of it. Uh, number seven from 2 Corinthians eight twelve, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The word readiness means your heart attitude, your eagerness. So if a person is eager to give and he wants to give freely, it is okay to give out of what you have. You don't have to go out and borrow. You don't have to mortgage your future. Um, You don't have to do some sort of pretense like that. And number eight is a favorite of mine. Giving is to be planned. We go to 1 Corinthians for that. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of us is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. I have a little bit of a pet peeve. I have nobody in mind. I have everybody in mind. We all say God loves a cheerful giver. So here's this person. The bag comes down the aisle. They reach down in the dungarees and they find a 20. And when they put it in the bag, they smile. I'm a cheerful giver. Eh. No. That's just spur of the moment. What have I got in my pocket? Might have been two quarters. Giving is to be planned. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a moment. At the beginning of the week, at the beginning of the month, at the beginning of the year. You plan. And what are you planning to give? Your first fruits. You give off the top before you look at other things. You plan it that way. Number nine, giving is to be generously sacrificial. Second Corinthians 8.2 For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Some of the reading I did in the background about the Macedonians, their affliction and their poverty, 
It sounded like the Macedonians didn't have a pot to... uh, uh, Anyway, I am familiar with this. I grew up as a kid having to put on my snow boots to go to the bathroom at night in the wintertime. I had to walk across the yard. The Macedonians were poor. They didn't have anything. Yet Paul says... Their abundance of joy have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They gave out of their poverty, generously sacrificial. And lastly, giving results in blessings from 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. He who supplies need to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He, in this case, is God the Father. He will provide that. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There are a few who include this among their um, um, justification of the prosperity gospel. Uh, It's not for that at all. This is about deepening one's attitude of grace about giving and about God's grace in providing what we need. So there are ten aspects of a disciplined and gracious free will giving. The type of giving that God the Father truly, truly desires us to do. So how does this look in the real world? I made up a very, very simple application. You have an income. What is first fruits offering? Right off the top. That's that very first line. I highlight it in yellow. Now you'll notice I did take 10% of the income. None of these men that I referenced have any quibble, as I said, with the Lord's describing a tithe as being a tenth. And if anything, that is the place to start. But let's go down this list and we'll talk about this. Then you have needs. These are genuine needs. Food, clothing, housing, utilities, transportation. In order to survive and live and thrive. Now... The point is, if there's anything left over after that, you are to give graciously in a free will offering. Let me spell that out a little bit. You sat down on January 1st, and you look at each other, I'm assuming me and Miss Jeannie. We look at each other and we say, okay, this is what we expect to have this year. Now, if you're not on a salary, if you work for yourself, you estimate that the best you can. Before you talk about anything else, you get on your knees and you pray. And you pray, Father, we desire to give you first fruit of our labor, what you've enabled us to do this year. And you put that down, and then you go on with your budget. This comes from Dave Ramsey's thinking, by the way. Um, Pretty sharp man. Um, Great financial advice. Undoubtedly, there are people 
who if they put 10% down and they get down just the basic needs, the numbers go into the negative, to the red. And this is where these men were pushing back against. If that number at the top has to be adjusted, be only 6%, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. You are giving first off the top. And God doesn't want you to go out and mortgage the house to just make it 10%. You pray it through. You make that devotion. And you do it purposely. And we here have a, a mechanism that you can do that. We have online giving where you can line up your checkbook or your credit card. And that's taken off the top. To me, that's about as good of evidence of your trust in God. You're trusting him. Here I'm saying, this next year, I want you to take this, Lord, and give it to the church for the work, your work in the world. Um, then the lower uh, $1,000 I put in for gracious free will offering, um, to me, that is definitely where you give to the mission field. Lottie Moon, you give to uh, the kids fundraising for camp, uh, etc. And you give generously. And guys, I hate to say it again, but you notice where the SUVs and the motorcycles wound up. They're on the bottom of the list. If we truly want to honor God, and, and, and I'm not saying this has anything to do with your justification, if you make a profession of faith in God and you believe that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, you are saved. But we are still going to be accountable on the day of our glorification for everything we have done. I don't want to stand there and say that I spent $100,000 during my life on a 35-foot Viking with twin um, 400 engines in it just so I could go offshore fishing for flounder and fluke. But yet, the building drive at church, Long Island Youth Mentoring, they went bankrupt. I could have given them, you know, a pittance to help them make it. I think we're going to have to answer for that kind of thing. Now, this is where I say again, I don't have the theological sophistication, but I think this is a fairly, um, a fairly uh, clear view. So... You've seen the overview of giving in the Old Testament days. You've seen ten aspects of free will giving, where we get off the legalistic value of 10%, but we emphasize the free will. That, that's a, a tricky situation to find yourself in in one sense. We are given a tremendous amount of liberty, tremendous amount of freedom. We're freed from the guilt of having to meet 10%. But we're also freed from the false righteousness of saying, well, I gave my 10, I'm done. Okay? On the other side of it, there is a bit of a responsibility. And I want to read a section of pas uh, passage of Scripture I did not put on a slide. But I want you to listen carefully if you would. This comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. 
understand what that statement means. Because I am who I am and I don't change, I haven't scorched the tails of all of you sinners. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. The reason that I should be torching your tail ends. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But then we say, how shall we return? Will man, <clears throat> excuse me, will man rob God? God says, yet you are robbing me. We say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. Now, in the word of tithes, think first fruits. Withholding your first fruit offering and your free will offering from the work of the Lord. Bring your first fruits into the storehouse that they may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, I dare you. Bring it in. Put me to the test. If I will not open and, and if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you that, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. These are two agricultural references. He's going to make the rain come so your crops grow. He's going to keep the um, grasshoppers and the cicadas away so they don't devour your wheat. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be in a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. We have a tremendous amount of liberty, freedom, but we have a tremendous responsibility. Do we want to be Macedonians and give generously, or do we want to be robbers? and withhold our first fruits and free will offerings. Um, I told you I had a quiz for you, and I want to give you the answer to the quiz as I give some closing remarks. These nine men in 1923, by the world's standards, Successful, powerful, righteous in a secular way. Take a look at the column to the right. Charles Schwab died totally bankrupt. Both Samuel Insull and Arthur Critton died overseas, fugitive from American justice. Howard Hobson went insane and died in the asylum. Richard Whitney president of the New York Stock Exchange, he spent quite a while at Sing Sing. That's a nickname for the Austin Correctional Facility in upstate New York. It's uh, not one of the good ones. It's a pretty rugged place, and definitely back then. A member of the president's cabinet was pardoned from prison, ill to go die at home. And the worst of it all is the last three. They took their own lives. Their money, their wealth. Now, obviously, it appears that they did not act like believers, but the point is taken. If you have a love for money, that is the root of evil. And 
by pushing back against the notion of 10% and focusing on an attitude of giving, giving back to the Lord what he has given to you. I can give you an example of someone uh, different from these 10 men, 10, 9, whatever, 9. There was a man born in 1887, and he dropped out of grade school and uh, did a lot of different jobs, construction. He went into the Navy in World War I, was a veteran. But in 1915, at the age of 28, he found himself $5,000 in debt. Now, just stop and think, 1915, $5,000 back then, an awful lot of money. His pastor one day told him in 1919 that don't lose heart. Um, because the young man was, was thinking about going on the mission field or going into ministry and seminary, you know, to get right with God. And the pastor told him, no, it's more about where your skills are. You're a good businessman. You just had some bad luck. God needs businessmen too. And I like to ratify that. But it didn't turn around immediately. In 1927, he was $100,000 in debt, and he was 40 years old. But 1927, $100,000 is still a lot of money. So then he started to make and sell the machines that he had been working on and fixing. Huge, earth-moving machines, scrapers and bulldozers. His patent was among the initial patents that developed the electric wheel that you see on all the tundra trucks in Alaska and Antarctica, uh, electric motors, and you stand by the tire and they're 20 foot tall. And so he started to make a little profit. In 1932, he made $50,000 profit, and he paid off all his debts. 1934, he made 340000 so he sat down with his wife in 1935. They were believers. They had been tithing faithfully. But he said, I've, I've got all this money. That year, his wife and he inverted it. They started giving 90% of his income to the church. He started traveling all over the country to give speeches to businessmen about running a business in a Christian pattern. So in 1938, he made over a million and a half dollars in profit. When the 40s came, the designs and machines that he had built uh, for earth moving and whatnot, 70% of the machines used in the European theater and in the Pacific theater, building aircraft, uh, um, airport runways, uh, moving material, were made by his company. And in 1946, he founded a university, a Christian polytechnic university, uh, to teach kids who wanted to learn engineering. The name of that man is Robert Griffin Letourneau. And you probably don't know him, but there is a tie to this congregation. Uh, we all know and love Richard and uh, Jenny Cotterallo. And we all know their son, Andy, and his wife, Allison. Their oldest, Sars uh, Cotterallo, is now a student at Letourneau University, and he's going to study engineering. One man's attitude toward 
the wealth that the Lord has given him, blessed him with, and is now blessing. This university has 3,000 students that are learning, and they're learning in a, a Christian atmosphere. And we just got to pray that the pressures of the outside world don't take over that school as they've taken over so many. So I want to close with uh, taking a final look at the last verse of our scripture. For you know the grace substitute. For you know the undeserved acceptance and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. We sang a song about how rich he is. Everything is his. The creation. Billions and billions of everything. Yet for her, his, your sake he became poor. He gave it all away. He set it all aside. There is no bigger gift than that. To become poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Giving is to be done freely. It is to be done with discipline. It's to be done with the right attitude of the heart. If we don't do that, we don't honor our Lord and Savior. If we don't do that, churches like this don't stay strong so that Jack can grow up to be a wonderful disciple of Christ. Churches like this don't stay strong that we can send both people and money to Chennai, to Echo, and other places. We don't stay strong to have the bond of love and fellowship that we have because it's all to the glory of God. Heavenly Father, I've done my best. I know that you want us to give with a totally open and free heart to show our love for you, to show our gratitude to you. I pray that that's been communicated. I pray that we would adhere to that. I beg you to grant us the ability to adhere to that. In your holy and sacred and risen name, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.